Support for this podcast comes from Troy University, dedicated to teaching a new generation to lead change. Information on leadership opportunities available to students from day one is at troy.edu slash lead change. From Troy Public Radio, this is In Focus, and I'm Carolyn Hutchison. Last Thanksgiving, we visited one of Alabama's most famous houses, the Rosenbaum House in Florence, Alabama. Designed by foremost architect Frank Lloyd Wright, we were curious to see if any of the design features in the Rosenbaum House were forerunners of today's tiny house movement. Jeff Ford, site director, sat down as we looked around at much of the furniture that was built during construction. Jeff, where are we sitting right now? Well, we're sitting in the original dining area of the house. Uh, this is an open floor plan house, so there are no real rooms. The dining area, it was a built-in dining room table, which is adjacent, well, stands between the original kitchen space and the living room. Describe the architecture and the interior design. So as I alluded to earlier, Wright designs in the open floor plan, which is so popular today. Wright actually began to experiment with the open floor plan as far back as the 19-teens, so over 100 years ago now. Uh, it's not a new idea. But the way Wright differentiates space is by either changing the elevation of the floor, the ceiling height, or both. So these Usonian houses, like this one, are designed around a central core, which contained the original kitchen, the heating and cooling system, or in this case, the heating system, and all of the electrical. Those are found at the axis between the two parts of the house, which is the living area and the sleeping area. Uh, the living area, or the living zone, contains the living room, the patio, which is outside the windows, this dining area, and the original kitchen, and you'll notice they're all on one level. Secondary functions, like the homeowner's private office, is two steps down. The sleeping area is two steps down also. You use the word Usonian. What does that mean? It's from the acronym for the United States of North America. Wright had been criticized for practicing in what was then considered an outdated mode or style by some people called the prairie style. And one of the main parts about the prairie style of architecture was that it was centered around Chicago and the great prairie. And Wright wanted to let potential customers or clients know that these houses could be constructed anywhere in the United States. So he remembered a word from an earlier time, Usonia. And he lived when? from 1867 until 1959. A lot of people consider him America's greatest architect. Other people, he is one of the greatest architects. To me, looking at the design inside this house, I am also reminded of the tiny house movement these days because there is an economy of space. Comment on that. Absolutely. Frank Lord Wright was a child of the Victorian era. If your listeners will think, get a vision of Victorian houses in their minds, those are houses you either really like them or you don't. You consider them cluttered with lots of unnecessary rooms, lots of 
furniture with things sitting around on them. And Wright is a reactionary in many ways. He wants to do away with clutter. He wants to simplify houses down to just basic things. But at the same time, nothing's plain. So that's the magic or the genius of Frank Lloyd Wright is to take simple forms, simple materials, and create a very peaceful artistic space. Also, there's another angle. He was, after affordability in uncertain economic times, compare the times that he was designing with today. Absolutely. The the beginning period, the thought processes, which led to the Usonian houses and their main construction phase, which was actually post-World War II, were conceived of during the midst of the Great Depression. And Wright called the Usonian houses his final attempt to create affordable housing for what we would call young professional couples, what can also be called middle or upper middle class couples, which has always been the hardest market. You you have, for working class, you can get government subsidies, that sort of thing, to build housing. When I say you can, I mean contractors, builders, and architects. And for the rich, you have a market, too. It's that middle class that often finds it difficult to get loans, to get money, to build something for themselves. So Wright was trying to create, had always tried to create, affordable housing, and he called these his final attempt. In your view, what are the similarities and the differences in Wright's designs and this tiny house movement? So to me, the uh, similarities are in that everything about them are designed to be affordable, whether it's the choice of building materials, the simplicity of building materials, the low cost of the building materials, the overall size. Now, to be honest, the Usonian houses are bigger, even the smallest Usonian houses, which is called the Seth Peterson Cottage, by the way, at 800-some square feet, are larger than the great majority of the tiny houses. Tiny houses really are tiny. The other part to me is that the Usonians were always considered permanent structures. Now, part of the whole beauty of the tiny house movement is that you can go two ways. They can be a secondary house, maybe attached to the parent's house. They can be called a mother-in-law suite, or they can be called something for the young folks to move out so they have a little privacy from the parents' home. Or, to me, the more intriguing part is the back-to-nature types that want something more than a camper or a tent. (laughs) They want something that more resembles a house, and those can be self-sufficient. They're off the grid, they call them. So they're out in the country, out in the woods, and they can move them around as needs be. You were talking about how Frank Lloyd Wright was raised in a Victorian-era household what were the influences on his thinking, and where did those influences come? Wright would always first say nature, and he used nature interchangeably with God. So to him, nature was the number one primary influence. So any architecture or any building that tried to divorce itself from its natural background, he would not have been an admirer of. So that left things like traditional Japanese architecture, which is always close to nature, and also the craftsman movement. Now, the craftsman movement, you know, you have some technicalities there, but the craftsman movement was to give everything a handmade 
look, divorcing it from machine, but it was still machine made. It just didn't look machine made. It had a, a handcrafted look to it. So Wright admired both of those uh, movements. Now he did some traveling in Europe. The Bauhaus came along, this mm -hmm. form follows function movement. How did that happen? Form follows function was not created by the Bauhaus movement. Form follows function, it's an axiom, stated first in an article to a magazine by Frank Lloyd Wright's boss, the good old American architect, Louis Sullivan. Louis Sullivan first stated form follows function or form should follow function. Wright was his draftsman at the time. <laughs> so did the Germans acknowledge his influence? Yes. yes. Everyone acknowledged Sullivan's contribution with that statement, yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Jeff Ford, site director of the Rosenbaum House in Florence, Alabama. Tomorrow we'll delve deeper into the story of the house with Jeff. More information can be found in the book Frank Lloyd Wright's Rosenbaum House, The Birth and Rebirth of an American Treasure, and at the website writeinalabama.com. Thanks for joining us today for In Focus, which is now a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Carolyn Hutchison, and this is listener-supported Troy Public Radio.